1: You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
0: Braves and baseball fans, it's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, Bear, home run. <laughs> One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed the perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes! Yeah, yes, yes, yes. yes! 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 The Atlanta Braves yes. have given you a championship. Listen to this crowd Left side. Swanson to first. He's yes. yes. the world champion. Braves and Baseball Talk, straight from the Diamond. Here's Grant
2: McCauley. And hello and welcome to From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Grant McCauley and Corey McCartney with you a little bit later than normal here on a Sunday from the Kia Studios in Midtown, but we have quite a week to discuss. There was so much going on in the news for the Atlanta Braves that we're going to devote One solid hour to trying to figure it all out, trying to parse all the way through it. And, of course, to recap what was a very eventful and very important week for the Braves as far as the games that were played. They had the first place Mets in town. They had the best team in the American League in town. Oh, by the way, that was a World Series rematch. So we had those storylines. We had another big-time extension handed out to another young Brave. Mike Soroka got back on the mound on a rehab assignment. He started not once but twice in this action-packed week. And of course, we had a little bit of an off field issue that we'll also be discussing on this show. So, uh, and, and all of that, of course, we will get you set up for what will be a road trip that the Braves had out on that begins in Pittsburgh on Monday. But before we get to all that, I want to welcome Corey McCartney in, as always. Uh, Corey, this has been a week, I think, one of the busiest I can remember in recent memory for the Atlanta Braves.
3: Yeah, it's so dark out right now. I feel like I should have my uh, pajamas on or something. But. Um, <laughs> I mean, it, this feels like the same deal with the Austin Riley extension. It's like the the Michael Harris second extension feels like it was a month ago, and just so much has happened. obviously, yeah. you know this yeah. this you know pivotal seven game homestand that had make or break capabilities. I mean, you think about the division and the wild card standings and the Braves end up winning five of seven. It was uh, honestly on field. I don't know that they could have had a more productive week than they did.
2: Well, of course, productive on the field is definitely what you want if you're the Atlanta Braves. And they were able to pull that off. And then some, I think, against two very worthy opponents on this homestand, taking three out of four from the New York Mets, which, as you mentioned, I mean, that had make or break written all over it. If another series went bad for the Braves head-to-head against the Mets, the division race could start to slip through their fingers with less and less opportunity moving forward over the final, what, 40 or so games that are left in the season. And if that wasn't enough to match up with your divisional foe, well, how about the team with the best record in the American League rolls in on the heels of meeting that club, the Houston Astros, in the World Series last season. So there were a lot of storylines that were happening with these on-field battles. As always, I want to remind you that if you do like what you hear here on From the Diamond, make sure you are subscribed wherever you get your podcast, And, of course, it's on the Odyssey app. You can find us there. You can find me on Twitter, at Grant McCauley. You can find Corey, at Corey J. McCartney. find the show on Twitter, at From the Diamond, with an underscore on the end. With all that out of the way, let's jump into this and talk about, I think in particular, how things change so drastically from losing four out of five in City Field against the Mets just a week prior to where the Braves found themselves taking three out of four from the Mets at Truist Park. Corey, I feel like it all starts with the place that we always point to when it comes to what's your night going to look like? And that is, how is your starting rotation going to fare? It was a night and day difference for the Braves starters against the Mets at home in this recent home stand.
3: Yeah, I will also include the Astros uh, games when I include this, but a 196 ERA across the home stand when you consider Max Fried, Kyle Wright, Charlie Morton, and Spencer Strider. That's Basically, your postseason rotation, and they were absolutely fantastic. But um, you know, going into that Mets series, you know, they obviously take the first two games. And I, I think when you when you think about the Mets and what they are, and the makeup of this team, and what they're how far they're going to go potentially in the postseason, mm-hmm. it boils down to those games started by Max Scherzer and those games started by Jacob Degrom. So you have to ask yourself as a team going up against them, can you win those games in which they start? The Braves obviously got the win over J- uh, Jacob Degrom. They nearly got a win yep. over Max Scherzer, and I think that's that's the. Biggest piece because I, you know, I mean, we've got Carlos Carrasco and Taiwan Walker. Uh, Those guys are on the shelf night right now. So you, there's all kinds of question marks with this Mets rotation. What's it going to look like for the next month? Winning those two games, winning one of those two games against those two starters is a a statement in itself. Especially also again being in position to potentially win the one started by Scherzer.
2: Now clearly they wanted to get Max Scherzer back after the month or so that he missed with his strained oblique, and that was on top of not having Jacob Degrom throw a pitch for them. Really until you got into the second half. So the Mets have been waiting to get to full strength in a couple of different ways. And in particular, of course, it's getting DeGrom back in there. I don't think at any point it was part of their plan, well, as soon as we get Jacob DeGrom back, and as soon as he starts looking exactly like Jacob DeGrom, which, by the way, was basically the minute he took the mound in the first start back, we're going to lose Carlos Carrasco and Taiwan Walker. I mean, this is a test. Every team goes through this with injuries. It's going to happen at some point in the season. And for the Mets, it's going to be one of their biggest tests down the stretch as the Braves, of course, lost a game on Sunday. The Mets picked up a win over the Philadelphia Phillies. It still boggles the mind. But – with the Phillies' bullpen, anything's possible, just none of it's good. And so the Braves did lose a game in the standings and now drop to four games back. But that's still a very manageable deficit with the time that is left to play. Of course, there's another head-to-head meeting between the Braves and the Mets down the stretch. But it just feels like all of a sudden, Corey, that you know while the Mets did go up to Philadelphia and they did win some baseball games, that they are a little under siege with the injuries. And, of course, they got a little bit of a receipt for that city field beatdown they gave the Braves. It said, hey... The Braves are not going away down the stretch. I think they're very well aware of that.
3: Yeah, and I, I mentioned with the Mets here, they started Jose Buto on Sunday, making his major league debut. He's the the tenth starting pitcher that they have used this season. So it's great to have Scherzer back. It's great to have Degrom back if you're the Mets. But right. think about, I mean, think about how pretty much rock steady the Braves rotation has been since Spencer Strider stepped into his role. The, the Mets are just trying to get through now to get to that postseason when you can just kind of lean on Jacob DeGrom, lean on Scherzer, and lean on Chris Bassett.
2: And I think that, you know, they built that rotation quite obviously to be a strength of that team. It has been for much of the season. It's just now that it's starting to show, I think, more cracks than they would have expected. And this sounds crazy to be saying. When they did have to lose Max Scherzer for an extended amount of time, and when they did not have Jacob DeGrom for an even more extended amount of time, it sounds a little bit strange to be saying, well, now the cracks are showing with the Mets rotation. But it's a depth thing more than anything, and depth is something that Alex Anthopoulos and the Braves have been trying to build really since he took the job here you know, back before the 2018 season. In order to try to take the Braves to that next level, it was building layers of depth. And one little, I think, well, not even one, but a couple of unsung heroes in the weekend before the Mets series, because remember that series down in Miami included a doubleheader. Kyle Muller had to come up. Ian Anderson had to, he had been demoted, but was re-added to the roster as the 27th man and was able to pitch a pretty good little ball game against the Marlins in that. And then, of course, Bryce Elder, what he did on the Sunday, those three young arms got the Braves set up for success in the series against the New York Mets with Max Fried coming off of the injured list. That's one of the big stories of this week. Kyle Wright coming back from some arm fatigue and looking very good against the Houston Astros. This was something where it was almost an all-hands-on-deck scenario for the Braves rotation, and they passed that test with flying colors.
3: Without question. I mean, think about, like, almost any other organization – uh, from what we've seen of them, I mean, Bryce, Bryce Elder has made multiple starts before this. Early in the season, you know, they were going to him, and things got a little bit touchy with the walks and whatnot. But between him and Kyle Muller, I mean, and obviously you know, Ian Anderson – A lot of other organizations, those would be guys already up at the major league level getting rotation turns. And it just speaks to the depth of this organization that they can do this. That they bring in Jake Odorizzi that, you know, I know he's not been fantastic, but you're basically in a position where you have enough depth that you can shield guys like Max Freed and Kyle Wright to allow them to come back, you know, from arm fatigue in terms of Wright and uh, the IL uh, for uh, concussion there in terms of Freed.
2: You know, Odorizzi was not necessarily impressive in his first couple of outings. He had an outing at City Field. He had one down in Miami. Neither of those were particularly sharp, but then he started to get a little bit beat up, though, by the New York Mets in that 9-7 victory they had in Game 3 because the Braves charged out, took the first two games of that series. So worst-case scenario, Atlanta had already set up a split. Now, for the Braves, that also means that if they had split that series, four days come off the calendar and you haven't gained a game, and that's obviously not what anybody was planning for. Thankfully, Atlanta was able to find a way to win on a day that Jacob DeGrom pitched and you know, do so behind Max Freed, who returned to the mound that day as well. So a lot of good things were kind of come, all coming together, a confluence of events uh, for the Braves in that Mets series, and all of them looked good. And if you really look big picture on this homestand, Corey, even the loss on Sunday and, of course, the loss on the day that Max Scherzer was pitching uh, in game three against the Mets. Those were a couple of games that the Braves were in that they gave themselves a chance to win. I know that, you know, a couple of the bullpen decisions here or there have been questioned. I think that, you know, it's okay to question that, quite obviously. Everybody can have their opinions as far as that's concerned. But I do feel like the Braves have been in a place where they're, what, 16 games in 15 days. So everybody out of the bullpen had been used pretty heavily, I think. And they do have three games in Pittsburgh coming up. They will have an off day on Thursday. That's all well and good. But I think, big picture, if you went into it, on you know, Monday morning, and I, and I said, okay, Corey, seven games against the New York Mets and Houston Astros, what kind of record do you want to have against these guys? If I told you it'll be 5-2, and two. You'll take that any day of the week and twice on Sunday, even if Sunday's one of the ones you lose.
3: <laughs> yeah, and, I mean, they were fantastic I, I, to get five of seven wins against those two teams because, you know, again, this could have been a week that completely reshaped things. Uh, they won't see the Mets again until September 30th. Uh, I've mentioned this to you before. The Mets play a schedule that's 28th, the remaining opponent-winning percentage. The, the, they've got eight, a streak of 16 series, you know, versus division opponents, all the stuff they come into with, and the Braves are able to take them down the first series, again, a loss against an East team. They needed this. They needed this the worst way uh, they got it done this week and are in a fantastic position to stay in the hunt for another East title. Well,
2: they definitely have. We're just getting started here on From the Diamond as we have up one of the big reasons why the Braves were so successful on this homestand. Well, there are a whole bunch more, and we'll tell you about those. The Atlanta offense started to come together quite a bit. In the middle of that, a couple of 21-year-olds. Michael Harris, the second, and of course, Vaughn Grissom also showing out big time in his first games at Truist Park. Fun to lay eyes on him and see him really, I, I think, just breathing in and, and living in that energy that those sellout crowds at Truist Park were providing, and he was in the middle of some big moments. And, of course, Michael Harris 2nd well, he's going to be around for a long time. We're going to be talking about that, an eight-year extension for him, and we've got so much more to get to here on From the Diamond Dat, and so much more will be coming your way as we continue. Grant McCauley, Corey McCartney, Sports Radio 92.9 The Game.
1: You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
0: Back to Gran McCauley for more from the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game.
1: And
2: welcome back. This is From the Diamond. Grant McCauley, Corey McCartney with you late here on a Sunday night in the Kia Studios on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. We appreciate you joining us. We have so much to get into as we continue a look through this week in Braves baseball. That's usually just a segment, but now it feels like a whole show because it basically is a whole show. We have so many different items to get into. Of course, the Braves finished off their homestand 5-2. They were able to take a series from the Mets, a series from the Astros, now head out on a road trip to Pittsburgh. We'll get you set up for that as well on this show. But, Corey, let's talk about a guy who's gotten set up pretty well in the major leagues and is now set up to be here for quite some time to come. And that, of course, will be Michael Harris II. News came down on Tuesday that he would be receiving an eight-year, $72 million contract, which will keep him in Atlanta for the rest of this decade. couple of option years on top of that. We got to hear from Michael a little bit uh, regarding his thoughts and everything coming together and the fact that he, much like Austin Riley, this is the place he wanted to play. This is the place he wanted to be. So when this deal came together and was offered to him, it was kind of a no-brainer for Harris to go ahead and set him up, set himself up financially in the place he wants to play with a team that looks like it's going to be pretty good for a long time to come.
3: And, and part of that core now, and you know this guy who's a pillar, uh, ten-year potentially one hundred and two million dollars of the extensions. Uh, you add him to Acuna, Albie's Olson, Riley all signed through at least twenty twenty-five. Just a you know the the fact that Alex Anthopoulos has been able to put this core together. Um, you know and obviously with Harris it, there's there's risk involved from both sides right I mean you're if you're the Braves you're, you're running the risk of this you know a, another guy who has that really great start and ultimately doesn't end up panning out through a career uh, for you know obviously for his end if, if he is a superstar level player that he looks like he has the potential to be he could end up being a 20 to 30 million dollar a year yeah. player that they're getting for really cheap and I have to throw in a meow as I discuss Michael Harris a yeah. second because he's made that fashionable in Atlanta uh, but I mean it, it's this is what happens with these young contracts is that you don't know. How, I mean, we've seen so many times where it just doesn't pan out, but the Brace have put themselves in a position where it, if it does, they're going to be good for a really, yeah. really long time.
2: And, look, we talked about this on Battery Power this week as well, and if you haven't checked that out, please be sure to do so. You can subscribe to that on YouTube. But uh, that aside and all other spinoff shows that I'm involved with aside, You know, the Michael Harris contract was what everybody was talking about this week, and for good reason, because, you know, like you said, you you add him to this core. And Alex Anthopoulos used that word that you used a moment ago, called him a pillar of the Braves franchise. And clearly, if you're going to keep somebody around for up to 10 years, you look at him as a big-time building block and somebody who might be in charge of holding the structure up, which is exactly what a pillar does. Uh, The other thing that I thought was really fascinating from the press conference is that when all of the discussion was going on in spring training, I mean, clearly the Freddie Freeman departure, the Matt Olson trade, Alex Antopoulos went to Michael Harris and said, look, we are not trading you. You are going to be here. And there are not too many guys that get that kind of, I don't know, assurances from many GMs, I wouldn't imagine. Guys who are going to go start their season at A, not long after that, but then find yourself in the big leagues by the end of the second month of the season. So that just lets you know how highly regarded Michael Harris was and how big of a part of the plan that he was even back in March when the Braves were trying to put other pieces in place. And Matt Olson was a pretty big piece. I mean, that was a saga that is well-documented, but he signed an eight-year contract. Austin Riley has signed a 10-year contract, and now you have – you know, Michael Harris with an 8- to 10-year contract as well. I know Riley's got some options. And all of this, putting it together with Ronald Acuna Jr., who signed for multiple years beyond this toward the end of the decade. Ozzy Albies, who's also under contract. You know, really the next question I think is, can the Braves go out and make sure that their shortstop, Dansby Swanson, is going to be hanging around for a little while? I think that's something that is certainly worth discussing. And, in fact, John Heyman of MLB Network said that the Braves and Swanson have begun these, I think he called them preliminary talks or at least gotten the ball rolling. And that we know how quickly that ball can go and how quickly an announcement can come.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think it sort of feels like that situation, too, where the Braves don't want to get in a, in a, in a position where they're, where they're trying to go dollar for dollar with somebody else. Get it no. done now. And don't get into the situation where you're having to match him up with Trey Turner and Carlos Correa should he opt out and Xander Bogarts. You know that you're you're adding him to this mix of shortstops mm-hmm. uh, that are going to be you know prime position guys uh, all available at one time during this winter, and you don't want it to to turn into a you know a fight for dollars for this these guys. And I think that's why it's interesting they're approaching this now. I, I will say I don't want to get too philosophical here, but I, I look at the way Alex Anthopoulos has been able to do this, and it's so different than what he did in Toronto. Think about how the, he when I you know just the way he acquired veterans in Toronto, guys like Roy Halladay and Burley and and R. A. Dickey, Josh Donaldson, David Price. Troy Chulawitzki. He was trading away all these prospects like Noah Syndergaard, Travis Darno, you know, all these guys. Mm-hmm. And here it, he's been able to kind of kind of have a fundamental shift in the way he's built this team and done it just like a lot like they've done with the Dodgers. That's I think he I, learned through yes. Andrew Friedman mm-hmm. with what he did with the Dodgers. And he's been able to kind of mix those two worlds, right? Like you bring in, you know, you bring in a Donaldson, you know, you bring in these Charlie guys, Morton. Charlie Morton, these guys who can supplement the, that young core. and I, I mean, to me, that's maybe the most fascinating thing about what Anthopolis has been able to do so far. And obviously, they won a World Series, so everything yeah, is cake at this point. But um, just the way that he's fundamentally built this team and the way it contrasts what he did in his first GM job in Toronto.
2: Well, I think, like anything, you, know, you evolve and you grow as a player, as a professional, whatever the case may be. And I, I think that, you know, and that's exactly where I was going, was spending time under that Dodgers, I'll call it, learning tree. I mean, look at how the branches of that tree go out to the San Francisco Giants now, obviously, to the Braves. Clearly the Dodgers are still doing their thing. They're a pretty good baseball team every year too, but I think it has changed a lot of the phil- the, the philosophy, I guess, that is involved in team building and roster construction and the importance of depth, which we've already talked about and we'll talk about probably every Sunday here on 92.9 The Game yeah. in, in the foreseeable future. But you know, the biggest thing I, I think that the Braves are looking at now is that they have sustainability in place, that they have some, some cost-controlled options of players that want to be here, that they want here, that they know exactly, cost certainty, I guess is the term, Yep. exactly how much they're allotting to that, which lets them know, hey, what do we need to go get and add to this now? And that is going to be pretty fascinating off-season shopping for Alex Antopoulos because the Braves, if you haven't noticed, it's a little crowded at Truist Park. They're selling out a lot of baseball games. They won a World Series. The fan base is excited. They're 20-something games over, 500 again with a chance to go to October. All of these things are lining up pretty well for Atlanta when it comes to the winning that is happening on the field. Now we're going to talk a little bit about uh, a big return that could be in the offing for the Braves as Mike Soroka made his second rehab start uh, on Sunday up in Gwinnett. I had a chance to go up there and catch up with him. We are going to hear about that, but I want to get a little ugly piece of business out of the way before we get there because Sunday in Atlanta um, marked the return of Marcelo Zuna to the Braves starting lineup. And I think that that was a, decision and and a a move that drew some criticism, and I think justifiably so because Marcel Ozuna was not having the best week ever. He got himself arrested again on suspicion of DUI in Norcross. Uh, It brought up a lot of questions, a lot of speculation. Are his days in a Braves uniform numbered? And I think we're going to find out the answer to that at some point in the not-too-distant future, but it hasn't happened yet. Uh, Marcel released a statement. The team released a statement. There were no questions that were answered. The team is gathering its information on this. Marcel obviously was released uh, on his own recognizance and was back in uniform for the Braves the day after the the arrest happened in the wee hours of the morning on Friday uh, up in Norcross. But this just kind of brings you to a, a crossroads that I feel like you were already at with Marcelo Ozuna because, you know, he had his off field troubles last year with the domestic violence incident. He did serve his his suspension. He did the community service and the program that he was, you know, court ordered to go to. And it seemed like he came back in the spring, wanted to put all that behind him and move forward and be a productive member of the team again. Well, he has not been a productive member of the team, which, as I said, you know, when we talked about this last week, it almost becomes secondary to what is going on with Marcelo Zuna off the field, because this is yet another incident, Corey, that just paints not only him, but the organization in a not so flattering light. and. This is the kind of situation that you don't want distracting you at any time during a season, but specifically now doesn't seem to be the best timing. That's for sure.
3: Yeah, and I have to believe the leaf was the lease was short from him after bringing him back from the suspension. Uh, you know, the Brazers said they want to see how the, the legal process plays out before they come to any right. decision. But I, you know, I honestly didn't think we were going to see him play anytime soon. And you know, Brian Snicker said post game Sunday Eddie Rosario you had a sore hamstring. They didn't want him to play. Ronald Cunha Jr. was going to D8, so somebody had to be in left. You know, right-handers has had some success against Jose Urquidy, the, the Astros starter for Sunday. He said, he's on our team right now. We're going to play him as needed. Um, Azun himself was asked about the boos that, that happened, you know, obviously with it, with each time he came up to the plate. Yeah. He said is that he sees them as motivation, which I think was a really tone-deaf response No doubt. Him, not understanding why he's getting booed. Look, this is not a matter—I mean, it obviously plays into it that the guy has not been productive right. for the last 365 days as a major league player. If he, It was the fact that he had the previous issue and he came back and played after that. And I think there was a, a, a large collection of Braves fans that didn't want to see him in Braves uniform again. And then this happens, and then you go back out there and he's playing on Sunday. And I think that, the bigger picture, is the bigger problem and i think that's why he was getting booed not necessarily the fact that it happened it, it's it's just all the stuff coming together and i think there's a certain there's a there's an element of the fan base that doesn't want to see him out there in uniform
2: now there's a large and very vocal element of this fan base or section of this fan base that has just said you know we've seen enough of this because clearly the incidents that he went through last year and the legal problems that he was in last year to say nothing of how it affects the team because again that's almost a secondary deal clearly there's a problem that was going on there, and that problem became a legal issue. Now, wherever you stand on that and second chances and players, you know, serving their suspensions and coming back and playing again, I think that you're, you're more than welcome to, to feel that way and feel strongly about that, no two, two ways about it. You know, Marcelo Zuna's legal problems last year, I feel like should have been a wake-up call that you should not be in another position where you could put yourself – in position to have more legal troubles. And introducing yourself to the Norcross police as Ozuna from the Braves doesn't exactly, to use that term again, sound anything other than tone deaf. It doesn't matter where you're from or where you work, and you don't need to show your player ID to the the officer who's asking you the questions based on the circumstances of getting behind the wheel with a certain amount of alcohol to drink. Now, he did not go through the breathalyzer test. He did not submit to a blood test either, And so, you know, this is going to have to play out over whatever period it's going to play out. But I was surprised and disappointed that not just that Marcelo Zuno is in a Braves uniform and that he might play at some point whenever that might be. But, you know, just because he's in a uniform, you don't have to play him. And you certainly don't have to start him. And I think that's kind of where I got caught a little bit off guard on Sunday. And and it's off-putting, most certainly, because the optics of this are not great. The team's aware of that. He's aware of that. The fans
3: are more than aware of that. Seeing him celebrating on Saturday night when Travis Tarnot hit the walk-off, I was surprised to see him out there. I mean, obviously, he's a part of this team. You know, he's excited in the moment. But it, to me, it just feels like a guy who just doesn't get it. He just doesn't get the, the depth of the situation that he's put himself in yep. and, the, and how people from the outside view that. I think he's so insular in in you know operating within this world of this clubhouse and this team and himself that he's just lost all sight of everything else, which is why I think you put yourself in a position where you're getting pulled over and trying to pull your MLB player card out uh, is kind of a little hint there to the guy that let's just, you know, let's dab and I'm going to get out of here. I think that, that that to me just all plays yeah. into it being just an ugly. I mean, he's due $41 million. He's got a $60 million, uh, you know, 2023, 20, 2024, 20, an option for 25. Uh, we don't know. I mean, there's a, there's character clauses in these contracts. It's highly unlikely the Braves are going to be in any position to void this thing they're going to have a decision to make. And I guess when the legal process plays out, we'll figure out what that's going to be.
2: And here's the other thing, and then we'll kind of button up this discussion and, you know, come back to it as as necessary, I guess, or as needed, as the phrase was on Sunday, is that I think that the Braves are going to do what they can and, and what they legally feel like they are able to do based on the fact that, you know, there could be a players' union element to this. I'm sure that there's some contractual language that's involved in all of this. And while it is certainly, you know just a a blemish most most definitely on the Braves and from a public perception standpoint it's something that has really worked a lot of fans up into a tizzy because this is just not the kind of thing that they deem is acceptable and nor do I think that they should just because he plays for your favorite baseball team so it's a complicated issue most certainly it seems like some of the things that should be simpler in life they simply are not and that of course, is where the Braves find themselves. Marcel Lozuna was hitless in his return to the lineup on Sunday, was booed uh, loudly and often by the crowd at Truist Park, which should pretty much let you know where the public stands as far as that is concerned. So let's turn the page from, as I said, what was an ugly little piece of business, and let's talk about something that is much more on the hopeful and promising side. Mike Soroka was back on the mound up in Gwinnett, and he was able to make his second start in his return from the Achilles injury, plural, injuries, plural, that he had, and get back on the mound not only up in Rome this week on Tuesday where he threw four scoreless innings and struck out eight, but again, he moved up to, to A on Sunday and was able to throw for the Gwinnett Stripers, three and a third innings of two-run ball for him, no strikeouts this time, six hits and a walk. I caught up with Mike Soroka after this start to get his thoughts on where he stands and how he feels coming out of that second outing. Well, Mike, obviously everything's a progression. Everything's a next step. How do you feel coming out of your second rehab start?
4: Uh, I feel good health-wise. That's obviously the most important thing. That's all I can really ask for is is a chance to go out to compete, right? Um, You know, right off the bat, everything was just felt a little more laborsome today. Uh, I think I was a little too excited uh, given how well I think I threw last time. It was a matter of, you know, trying to force that to happen again. And uh, I think it was just, kind of feeling it out and ironically I think the last pitch I threw was probably the best one I threw all day so yeah like you said it's a progression and it's one of those things to just take out there next time and um, you know that's why we have rehab starts right
2: Yeah, I guess every step along the way you're just going to take a few things from that was there anything pitch mix wise or anything you were looking for out there or is this just all about kind of regaining that feel and obviously checking that health box every time
4: yeah obviously health number one but um, yeah obviously first thing to me um, up here and in the big leagues, it's going to be a lot tighter with two strikes. You know, you're going to have to execute. And ironically, in, in Rome, I was, um, but here it was kind of, you know, a little ball all, all over the place, letting guys back into counts. I uh, felt like I was still getting ahead of most guys, but it was just a matter of being a little sharper later. Again, I think I was trying a little too hard. Um, so, other than that, um, stuff sort of felt good at times, uh, and I know I know the adjustment that needs to be made. And, I'm excited to make that next time.
2: Mechanically speaking, from the pitcher you were before the Achilles injury to the pitcher you are now, I would imagine that you've gone through a little progression of smoothing some things out there, maybe changing some things. Has that started to feel kind of like the new normal?
4: Yeah, definitely. Um, again, going back to that last start, uh, things felt very, very, very good. And, you know, I think it was probably a little more prep going into it because, you know, it was the first one. It was, I had a lot, a lot of time to think about that one. And you know this one, I I I think my focus turned to some other places, and just a nice little reminder to to keep it right where it was, and uh, we'll see if we can do that next time out.
2: That's Mike Soroka, the Braves rehabbing right-hander making his second appearance on this rehab assignment and on the mound for Triple A Gwinnett again. Corey, not you know that we need to be looking at the line and deciding if that tells us when Mike Soroka is ready. From what I saw. He had his pitches going. He had his velocity, and clearly, as you just heard from the man, he felt good about what he's doing and where he is. He's up to fifty-eight pitches as of this one, so I'd imagine you just continue to make those steps.
3: Yeah, and I think it's—I mean, it's—it's it's absolutely tantalizing to think about what could happen uh, come September first in that roster expansion if he can stay the course and, and you know continue to to be performing at a level where he and the Braves feel like he's, he's able to uh, make a contribution at the major league level. You know, we caught up with him earlier in the week, too, yeah. uh, at Truist Park, and I asked him, you know, about, he, he said he's the kind of guy who likes to visualize things, and I asked him about visualizing that first time out, and he said, you know, he get, comes into this situation where he wants to, to you know, think about how am I going to approach this, and he starts to kind of get caught up and Instead of going pitch to pitch, he starts thinking about it. And he's like, oh, I'm thinking about striking out the side. And he's like, no, slow down, slow down. <laughs> and then he goes out there, that first inning in Rome, and yeah. strikes out the side. And he says he walks off the field and was kind of smiling to himself. But he, But I mean, we know everyone who follows this team, everyone who covers this team, everyone who's been around this team is waiting for this guy and rooting for this guy to get back. And he's just one step closer to reality.
2: Yeah, very exciting to see Mike Soroka taking yet another step towards be- getting back to the big leagues. and. Hopefully, we'll be seeing him in the not-too-distant future. So, that uh, will continue, or we will continue, I should say, on this week in Braves baseball as the show keeps rolling. The Braves 5-2 and homestand. Now they're looking to take that momentum out on the road. We'll get you set up for that. Grant McCauley, Corey McCartney, from the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. This is From the Diamond, Grant McCauley and Corey McCartney with you. Wrapping up a very Braves-heavy, very Braves-centric, and a very busy Braves kind of week uh, here on the show as we get you set for what's going to be going out on the road trip. But just to kind of sum up some different things that occurred on this homestand, Corey, one thing that I think really stood out to me uh, was that the Braves offense really seemed to have an approach that it began on the road trip but carried all through the homestand of a lot more ball and play. A lot more run scoring that did not involve three-run homers, which is good to see, although I'm sure Earl Weaver would probably, you know, have, have his questions about an offense that doesn't rely solely on those. But be that as it may, I really felt like we saw a much more combined approach from and a much more cohesive approach from the Braves' offense. I really liked what I saw in this series, and I feel like it really showed out in some big ways. And it wasn't just Austin Riley or Dansby Swanson or Ronald Acuna Jr., Michael Harris, Vaughn Grissom, were in the middle of things. Travis Darnot off the bench. Matt Olson. You had a lot of different guys contributing to what was this five and two home stand from the offensive standpoint. And I'd, I'd be remiss not to say that I hope that continues because the Braves are certainly going to need those guys to keep swinging it if they want to make up this ground on the New York Mets.
3: Yeah, and to kind of underscore that, I mean, think about Saturday's walk off win: Acuna, Swanson, Riley, and Olson combined for one hit, and that was from Olson on that kind of check swing. Double thing of beauty that he had. I mean, that that tells you the depth of what this lineup has become. The fact that you can have one hit amongst those top four guys in the order and you still end up coming out on top in extra innings against the best team in the American League. Um, 18 and 10 in one run games now, 640 through winning percentage. That's tied with the Mariners for best in baseball. Um, I think that it all just underscores a team that that's finding ways to win. And, and while the, the home runs are great and they were hitting a lot of them early on and a lot of them were solo shots. They're producing now, and, and, and you know, to use the cliche, they're moving the line along, yeah. and, and we're seeing it happen on a daily basis.
2: I don't know how many times I've heard in Braves pregame or postgame press <laughs> availability the term "keep the line moving," that's right. but that's exactly what they have been doing. And you know, you mentioned that early in the season they were hitting all these solo home runs. Of course, the Braves have been a club that's been hitting, I think, the most home runs in the National League, and that is still the case heading into the trip that they're about to go out on to Pittsburgh to begin with, and. Uh, additionally, those one-run games, I don't know that people really realize exactly how potent the Braves have been in those situations because what are we usually looking at? Well, extra innings are not very much fun. And additionally, Braves' day games and series finales have not been very much fun either for one reason or another, and that was the case again on Sunday. But the Braves are a good ball club that is able to, A, beat some good teams. They proved that this week if you had any questions about that. And secondarily, they do play pretty pretty good late and close in games to give themselves a chance to win. I I think we just haven't seen the comebacks in the same way that they were and the same frequency that they were for the Braves over the last three or four years.
3: Yeah, and, and certainly they've had their issues in this Manfred Ball uh, era, but they've won their last 3 games. That comes after losing their first 4 uh, of the season. I mean, it seemed like early in the season if it went to extra innings you were just like, okay, right. bro, it's to a wrap. not not fly the, the big L flag, but um they're now 5 and Do 6 they have in one those, of those. I don't know. Well, <laughs> I, I think every team should have one of those, you know, just kind of send out the the warning flares on the way home. Uh-huh. Um but they're now 5 and 6 in extra inning games and obviously if you can win those extra inning games and you can obviously be, you know, good in those one run games, that's going to be the, the deciding factor. There, I mean, think about the fact that Darno's walk-off was the first for a pinch hitter that they had since Max Freed last July fourth. Oh. That kind of tells you where they've been uh, in terms of uh, of the, the late game heroics. Haven't you know been there quite to the degree that they were yeah. a year ago, but they're they're coming on late.
2: Well, they have not used Max Freed. They haven't pulled that lever yet for a <laughs> walk-off hit. So I'm glad Travis Darno was able to come through with one. And of course, we know because right here on Sports Radio 92.9, the game Alex Anthopoulos appeared earlier this weekend. He let the cat out of the bag about what the reward was for the club, winning three out of four against the Mets. And that was a nice, shiny new ice cream machine. I believe they got two of them uh, that are now installed. And apparently the ice cream machine goes all the way back to 2021 and the great run they went on. I got to tell you, man, it's a heck of an incentive. And if Alex Anthopoulos wants to be the hero that we both want, need, deserve, and anything else you want to throw out there, he could put an ice cream machine back in the press box box. Ooh. like we used to have at Turner Field, because that thing is about the only thing that I miss <laughs> from the old ballpark. And about uh, it would go a long way towards making Truist Park truly uh, the home of the Braves and, uh, I guess, the expanding waistline for us in the press box. But either way, it would be very exciting to get one of those ice cream machines upstairs. But we will await and see if that's uh, in the cards for us or not. But as far as the Braves and what's in the cards for them on this road trip, it's not just the Pittsburgh Pirates for three It's the St. Louis Cardinals with the suddenly resurgent Albert Pujols, who by the end of the week, who knows, he might have 700 home runs the way he's been swinging the bat lately, but that would uh, belie a lot of bad luck for Braves pitchers if that was the case. But let's start with this series in Pittsburgh. The Pirates, of course, have been at or near the bottom of the National League Central, and, of course, uh, most records in baseball, uh, they have found themselves toward the bottom of as well. Just a team having a tough year, as is their way. Of late, it'll be Jake Odorizzi taking them out in game one on Monday. Ronzi Contreras will get the ball for the Pirates game two. It's Max Freed against JT Brubaker on Tuesday. Then Wednesday's finale, we'll see Kyle Wright and Mitch Keller. Those are the pitching matchups for this series against the Pirates. I want to spend a couple of minutes on them. And then, of course, we need to talk about how red hot the Cardinals have been because they have their own MVP candidate in Paul Goldschmidt. Nolan Arenado's also been playing great. And the Cardinals, if you haven't been looking, have started winning some games because the Brewers are well aware of what's been going on. They have tumbled to, I believe, four and a half games back in the NL Central. And the Brewers, not long ago, were the first place club. In that division, so this is going to be an interesting road trip, Corey.
3: Yeah, I mean the Pirates are obviously in a bad way. I mean you look at since the second half is the 28th ranked offense in all of baseball, but I am excited to see O'Neill Cruz. I mean, you, I mean this guy is you know yeah. an absolute treat. Uh, you know, six seven, 220 pound shortstop, as I all mean, shortstops. Yeah, are. exactly. I mean he's he's a blast, and I think he's going to be a lot of fun to see in that series. But man, it's, it, I mean this whole road trip is about what they can get done against the Cardinals, and of course Albert Pujols. I mean. I talk about the second half with the Pirates struggling. This has been baseball's best offense in the second half of the season in St. Louis. A nine war out of this group right now. Alex Pujols has come alive. Um, he's got, sitting on one uh, forty-three weighted run creative plus right now, the highest he's had since his last season in St. Louis in two thousand and eleven. Six hundred ninety-two home runs. He's four behind Alex Rodriguez for uh, fourth all time. Uh, I, I mean, he's he's only hit two home runs off of Braves pitchers, and you know they're, they're only guys out of the bullpen. Uh, you know, when you're looking at uh, who he's actually hit those against. So, I mean, it's he's hitting one against Colin McHugh, and he's hit one against uh, Kenley Jansen. So, I mean, does he get one against this Braves team? I want to see this guy hit 700. Uh, I'd don't want him to hit four in this series, but certainly, you know, I, I think you know, seeing him on this path has been a fascinating story, and just one for and, and again, an offense that has been fantastic in the second
2: half. Yeah, and not to harp too long on Albert Pujols as we do take a look ahead at what is uh, awaiting the Braves out on the road. He's just one of the many stories, but he has said he, and continues to say it: I'm not coming back in yep. 2023 if I don't get to 700 homers. But I don't think there's too many people looking and on and watching and, and rooting that don't want to see him get to 700 home runs. That is a number you don't see hit too often, and Albert Pujols has had quite a career, and incredible that this guy has managed to turn his final season into what truly is starting to shape up as a quite a farewell tour as he has been hitting home runs left and right here since the All-Star break, and maybe it's a home run derby to lit that fuse. I don't know, but either way, Albert Pujols has been a force to be reckoned with, much like he was in his first go-around with the Cardinals. As far as this Pittsburgh Pirates series is concerned, we know that the Braves need to go out there, win a series, beat up on a club that has been down on its luck for the majority of the season. An off day is also looming on Thursday, Corey. And the Braves have not had a ton of off days. And despite the fact that they've had one or two sprinkled in here or there, headers in each of the last two weekends, I think Atlanta is going to be pretty happy to not be playing two games in one day for a while.
3: If they were home, I would almost anticipate a Dansby Swanson contract announcement oh. on Thursday because Alex Anthopoulos loves no those those off, off day no uh, maneuvers. Off but and it's and it's on the road, so I can't see him doing that uh, while they're in the, the middle of uh, going between Pittsburgh and St. Louis. But yeah, obviously this team needs a breather. They've played a really tough stretch. This is a series coming up that they need to win, and we talk about trap series. They've got a few of those coming up here. Uh, but man, this uh, I, I'm I know that the Pir- the Pirates are looming, and you can't look ahead. But I think that that Cardinal series going to feel just like this last week did it's going to feel like a bunch of games with a big postseason feel
2: now a lot of things that we are looking for on this road trip but a couple of things I take out of this recent homestand in particular the return of Max Fried, the return of Kyle Wright no they weren't gone for very long Freed though it was pretty scary when he took that tumble at first I thought you know, maybe he hurt his shoulder. Then it was like, did this, this guy concussed? And we found out in the what, 24 to 48 hours after that, that he was in fact dealing with those symptoms. He was able to move all the way through that, come back and be that guy for the Braves against Jacob Degrom. That is no small feat for any pitcher that's matching up with a club as good as the Mets and with Jacob Degrom on the other side. But I was very encouraged with Max Freed. He was mixing everything. The velocity was there. You know, he was sharp. It looked like playoff Max Fried. And I could say the same thing for Kyle Wright. He came out firing strikes, the couple of miles an hour he was down in Boston in the start prior, he found in this most recent start against the Houston Astros, helping the Braves win another baseball game. Big shot in the arm, big boost for this Braves rotation to get both these guys back in short order because any long period of time, we already talked about what the Mets might be without if they lose Carlos Carrasco and Taiwan Walker. Well, I would say that the Braves, the impact on their rotation, if you lose Max Fried and Kyle Wright, might be a little bit bigger and a little bit, uh, it might reverberate a little bit further for this Braves club.
3: Yeah, I mean, Max is big game, Max. Now. I mean, the past three seasons, an 823 winning percentage against winning teams, second among all starters, a 255 ERA, which ranks third. And then you look at Kyle Wright now, 15 wins. He shares the MLB lead with Verlander and Tony Gonsolin. The Braves have not had a 20-game winner since Russ Ortiz in 2003. And Kyle Wright with a real shot at joining Ortiz in that 20-win club.
2: You know, it's funny. John Smoltz was in town doing the Saturday night game, and – he was talking about Russ Ortiz's 20-win season, and he said, I probably made that guy a, a pretty good little contract after he left Atlanta by coming in and saving some of those games. Because, you know, when you think about the Braves and their history and the, the storied Cy Young Award winners and Hall of Famers and 20-game winners – I don't think Russ Ortiz, I mean, he's quite (laughs) the answer to a trivia question (laughs) there because it wasn't the most dominating stuff. He was not striking out a lot of guys. He wasn't throwing a lot of complete games, certainly wasn't throwing a lot of shutouts, but the Braves had a great offense back then, and that was able to power them. And, of course, John Smoltz, by making that little tongue-in-cheek joke, was the closer at that time and was able to come in, lock down some games (laughs) in the eighth, toss a ninth, and help out Russ Ortiz as far as winning uh, the 20 games was concerned. But Jake Odorizzi is a guy that's not looking for 20 wins this year. He is looking for a win in a Braves uniform, though – Uh, First few outings for him. He's made three starts already. His fourth one is scheduled to come on Monday up at PNC Park. Uh, What do you think you need to see out of Jake Odorizzi? I, I don't know that I've seen anything that's necessarily too alarming, but he has been getting hit, and hit a good little bit. It happened down in Miami, and, of course, the three home runs against the Mets was a little bit alarming as well, but he pitched a little bit better after the rain delay. Maybe he's made some kind of adjustment, found a little something that will help him keep the Braves in the game on Monday.
3: Yeah, and I want to see how he performs against an offense that's struggling. I mean, certainly you put him out there in the situation that he was against the Mets. I mean, he's only faced three guys on this Pirates team, so that you, hopefully you hope the unfamiliarity there is going to play to his you know, to to his benefit, um, he said he was really amped up those couple times. You know, trying to go out and obviously prove himself course, to this new sure. team. He, this is a lot more low key situation with him going against a uh, you know a team in the Pirates here, where he's going to be you know facing them on the you know on a, on a Monday evening in a in an empty PNC uh, Park. So you know, hopefully he's going to have a chance here to rebound in a
2: big way. And you're saying it might be a little bit different than the environment that he had on the road up in yes. City Field, and uh, well, it might be a little bit like that Marlins environment. I don't know, but be that as it may, the Braves are looking for win and they're looking for series victories as well. They get started with the Pittsburgh Pirates on Monday. Jake Odorizzi against uh, Ronzi Contreras. Then it's Max Fried and JT Brubaker in Game 2 on Tuesday. Wednesday we'll see Kyle Wright and Mitch Keller as the Pirates host the Braves for this three-game series. That'll bring us to the end of this episode of From the Diamond. As always, we appreciate you making us part of your Sunday, part of your baseball listening regimen. Make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you get your podcasts. For Corey McCartney, I'm Grant McCauley. This has been From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game.
1: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget.